Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks for joining us here at We Watched a Thing. I'm Topher. I'm Billy. Good to see you, Billy. Good to see you. How you been, buddy? Um, look, given the wine intake of last night, I'm I'm actually pretty good. <laughs> you had your mystery wine night. Your your white people. <laughs> it was yeah, so white. So so you and a group of friends. Yep. You, you each bring Me, a bottle of my, wine. My, myself and my other half, and, yeah. and two of our good friends. Yeah. We get together for dinner, and everyone brings a bottle of wine, and you don't tell anyone what the wine is, and we have to try and guess the grape varieties. <laughs> just sitting around being white. So that's what I was going to clarify. It's not like guess the, the brand or anything. You have to guess the grape. Yes. So do you say, like, this is a this is a purple one? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be really good. <laughs> I mean, most grapes are purple, aren't they? I guess you got your green grapes too. Do they use green grapes for wine? Well, fun fact, Billy, the colour you get in wine is not from the colour. Like most, like all grape juices, when you squeeze them out, the liquid is basically clear. Yeah. The colour you get on red wine is by leaving the skins in contact with the juice and that imparts the colour. Interesting. How's your um? How's your alcoholic root beer there? It's it's pretty good actually. It's good. I mean, for a ten thirty, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. ten thirty in the a.m. Yeah. Yes, it's it's good. It's good root beer, isn't it? Oh uh, yeah, you just gave me a little try, and it's um, it's hard to tell. It's like it's it's like drinking a root beer. It's hard to tell it's alcoholic. Which what I like about that is that it's good for kids as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> you you could give that to your daughter. Oh mate. <laughs> Mate, you, root beer float. You could add some vanilla ice cream oh, to that. Yeah, you could. Yeah. Imagine getting drunk off a root beer float. Have you ever had a beer spider? No. It doesn't sound good. I did it once just because I had to know. <laughs> I will say this. It's better than I thought it would be. <laughs> so, mate, I got a bone to pick with you. Yep. Did you know that you fucked up last week? Uh, how, how, do you, how do you figure? Well, we've had multiple people write into us yep. about a boo-boo that you made. Sure. And I think you'd like to correct yourself on air and say that you're a numpty. Well, that would depend on on, on what we're talking about. <laughs> we were talking about Hitchcock films that you'd seen. Yeah. And you very boldly claimed that you had watched South by Southwest. The documentary that Hitchcock <laughs> made about the Austin Festival. <laughs> What's what's wrong with that? <laughs> when Hitchcock's film, we've been told by multiple people, was North by Northwest. Yeah, ab- yeah, I've seen that one too. I can't, <laughs> I can't believe that we let that slip. I can't believe we let that get through the cracks. I can't believe you missed an opportunity to give me shit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You're always giving me shit. <laughs> uh, yes, for the record, have seen North by Northwest. Good film, that one. <laughs> yeah. um, have never been to South by Southwest. No, I'd like to, though. We um, we live a long way from Austin. We're planning on it, though. Are we? Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> we'll get there one day. Okay, good. <laughs> but so thank you to the people who uh, who corrected us. Well, it's not, yeah, nice to know that people were, like, actually yeah. listening enough to be like, Topher's full of shit. <laughs> Speaking of making mistakes, we've been making mistakes for a year now. Next week is our one-year anniversary. Wow. Yeah. So, dear listeners- Next week, we're going to do a mailbag episode. So, if you want to write into us with some questions, comments, if you want to say that what we thought of a movie was crap, if you want to say that Topher was wrong about something else, yeah, write in and we'll read them out. And- Send it to South by Southwest Festival. <laughs> They'll forward it on. So, that's next week. But what did we do this week? So, we have seen Luca Guadagino's new film, remake of 1977's Suspiria. You got to say it with a more Italian accent. They're in Berlin. A Suspiria. <laughs> I've been doing that all week. It's a me, a Suspiria. <laughs> a 
<laughs> Suspiria via Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> yes, we have seen Suspiria, which let's say reimagining, not remake. Okay. But we'll get there. Because you've seen 77s, I have not. I have. You know what was great about it? We touched on this last week. Empty cinema. Shoes off, my friend. You did not. Shoes off. <laughs> there was horror on the screen. <laughs> there was horror down below. I'd argue more horror down below. <laughs> Knowing the state of your feet. Were they sweaty? No, no, no. It was a, it was a, it was a morning session. It, okay. was, it was fine. It was fine. Suspiria, directed by Luca Guaragnino and written by David Kajganich, based on the 77 film by Dario Argento. It stars Dakota Johnson, Tilda Swinton, Chloe Grace Moritz, and Mia Goth. It took me a while to decide that, yeah, that really is Chloe Grace Moretz. Same. I'm, I'm a fan of Chloe Grace Moretz. How good's Kick-Ass? Oh, Kick-Ass is brilliant. <laughs> We're not here to talk about Kick-Ass. How did you find her in Suspiria in her very limited role? Uh, yeah, I, I dug it. Yeah. My Bayou was a German. <laughs> a troubled, possibly terrorist, possibly just scared by witches German. That's true. Now, the main star of that opening scene, though, is obviously Tilda Swinton. Indeed. Or is it Tilda Swinton? Or is it Tom York? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Tilda Swinton plays three roles in this movie. Did you recognise two of them? So two of them I knew going in. And I knew there was a third. I, st- I still don't know what the third is. Right. Okay. Well, let's leave it towards the end then and, then, and then we'll get there. Okay, cool. But so one of the roles she plays is an elderly uh, psychologist and she was phenomenal. She was unrecognizable. The voice was a little off, but the amount of expression she got through that prosthetic was insane. What I, yeah, what I was thinking was if I hadn't known- would, would I have thought that anything was up here or would I have just been like, yep, I don't, if I hadn't known, I don't think I'd have thought anything was up. No, definitely not. It was, the prosthetics were so well done. This film has to at least be nominated for makeup, if not if win. If the Iron Lady can win an Oscar. <laughs> if Suicide <laughs> Squad can win yes, an Oscar. When that's the benchmark. Yeah. Um this is some of the best brilliant work I've seen in, in years. Brilliant. Because oftentimes when you see that amount of makeup, the actor loses that ability to emote. And yet this was just so, so top notch. So Dakota Johnson, of course, is the lead in it. And I recently saw her in- uh, Fifty Shades. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> That's the next marathon we're doing. Um, uh, recently saw her in Bad Times at the El Royale. Oh, she's in that. She's in that. And she was quite good in it. Okay. Um, I, I liked I, her in it. I know nothing of her other than she's Melanie Griffith's daughter and she's from the Fifty Shades series. Yeah. So, I think she's going to have this thing now, like um, Kristen Stewart's doing the same. You're like, you've got to get past this thing well, that everyone yeah. knows you from, but it turns out you're better than. Yeah. Um, and it can take a long time to prove that. Christian Stewart is still digging her way out of that Twilight hole. And yet- she can act. My understanding is that her her run over the past couple of years has been nothing but quality. Yeah. But when you hear Kristen Stewart, you still think of Twilight. And that's how I am with Dakota Johnson too. And I actually I do Have you seen have you seen any Fifty Shades? I haven't. No, no, I right. haven't. And yet I still feel like my knowledge of that affected my enjoyment of her performance in this. Right. Because I do think she's really good. And yet there was something in me that was like, I don't think she's that good. And I don't know why I thought that other than the, ba- the baggage you come in with. Exactly. Yeah. How? Where were you on Dakota Johnson? I really liked her in it. 
Uh, yeah. 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 The more I reflect on it, the more I enjoyed her. And, and Tilda, I mean, saying Tilda Swinton's great it's like saying the sun came up. I mean, Tilda Swinton is the star of this movie. And, and d- here's a question. Has an actor or actress ever been nominated for both Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor for the same film? Or two supporting nominations for the same film? I'm going to say no. Do you think it's a possibility with this film? Because she was pretty fantastic in all three of those roles. But it'd be cool if it did happen. We can, we Especially can since she may well be nominated for score as well. <laughs> Tilda Swinton is Tom York. <laughs> um, did you dig the score? I, I really did. I, as we spoke about last week, I am a Radiohead and a Tom York fan. And yet I was hoping for more. Because you have not seen the original Suspiria. The score in that is one of the all-time greats as far as I'm concerned. It's it's more similar to, I'd say, the theme from Halloween, which is very melodic and repetitive, and yet it builds to different crescendos. Whereas this score was much more understated, as was the entire film. And, and I think I'll get into that a little bit more, the differences, but- the score, I wouldn't say it was memorable, and yet it did its job, certainly. I really dug it. One thing I really liked about the score was the way that it incorporated- The whole sound design of the film I really liked. The way that the-, the I'll, hound, I'll it, agree there. This is another week where the sound design was insane. Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in Fight Club, where he's talking about how the house kind of, as a whole, you know, it swells with the rain and it groans and kind of thing. And that you definitely get that in this film. The house is like a living entity. And- that sound design feeds into the score as well, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree with that, definitely. And even the bits where Tom York's singing, I was like, well, I'm okay with it. Well, that's what I was going to ask. The crescendo of this film is paired with not only score, but a, a song. How did you feel? That is so rare in a film like this to have a song. Did you enjoy that? I did. Yeah? Yeah, it worked for me, even though it was Tom York. <laughs> Or didn't make you want to kill yourself? Tom York, by which I mean Tilda Swinton. (laughs) Johnny Greenwood also from Radiohead done any scores this year? Because he was nominated last time around for Phantom Thread, which was a sensational score. So I did not get to to Phantom Thread. Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. That would be for for the lovers of Radiohead out there, which are many of you who- If if they were up against each other. Yeah. How fun would that be? Yeah. That would be fun. People could, like, point at me going, told you so. And I'd be like, I'm not debating that Radiohead are great. I just don't like them. <laughs> well, I think that the song from this film, Unmade, I think is a far better song than Lady Gaga's song from Star is Born. But it is no hope of beating it. It's no hope of beating it. Um, so, getting back to Dakota Johnson, did you know she trained for, like, two years? For the in- dancing scenes? Dancing, yeah. I would not be surprised because one thing I was going to bring up was the dancing. The choreography was- Pretty awesome. Because am I right in thinking that dan- even though it's set in a dance school, in the 77 version, dance isn't really a part of the film? Yeah. So, the 77 version is much more a horror. It's less art house. It's less introspective. It's an hour shorter, for starters. And apart from the setting and the character names, it's very, very different. Even just stylistically, this one is very kind of muted colours. It's that kind of depressing horror similar to Hereditary that we saw earlier this year. Um, the original Suspiria is very colourful. It's bright. It's really 
in your face with with colors and and gore and all that kind of stuff. And there's there's a bit more kind of slashy stuff as well rather than just the witchcraft. There's, you know, quite a few, you know, general slashings which this one is is lacking in. So they're almost completely different films. It's really really hard to compare them. In general, I'm I'm a fan of that approach when it comes to remakes because I you, agree. If you're just doing it again and like the the prime example of this, of course, is Psycho. Yes. Where it's, shot I mean, it's shot. shot for shot the same film. It's like, why? I agree. And especially when what you're dealing with is a classic, I think the best way to approach it is to to completely reimagine it. Because otherwise, yeah, you're just, you're just retreading the same thing. People already love it. Why are we doing it again? Yeah. And I think it was a, it was a directive in this film that we want to stay away from primary colours and, and bright yes. things and have that real- like we're set in this time in Berlin, let's have it be bleak as fuck. Yeah, well, and that was that was another big difference is that even though the original is set at a dance school in Berlin, the the whole political subplot is completely not present. Mm. Um, the elderly psychologist character is not in the original film, and that was the one part for me that I did feel dragged on a bit. I do think that with this this new version. You feel the runtime. Two and a half hours is is a long slog, and sometimes that can fly by. But I do feel like you could feel it a bit in this film, and I'm not sure that the political subplot really went anywhere enough for me to to understand its presence. Yeah, uh, I I must say I didn't feel um, I didn't feel the runtime really in this film, and I I, I kind of dig the political thing. You're right. In terms of story, yeah, it doesn't really go anywhere. I find it more just a cool thing to bounce off, specifically the the Red Army faction, otherwise known as the Beta Meinhof group. Just that, just that little connection between these group of women who, on the one hand, are horrible, yeah, but there's also this sense of empowerment about them. And with Meinhof, this this young German um, journalist who cracked the shits with looking back you might call the alt right of the day. Yeah. I think there's a cool tie in there. Yeah, okay. That I, that I dug. All right. And also made me go, there was a point in my life where I knew a bit about Beta Minoff and I've completely forgotten it. <laughs> I was gonna say so, you've obviously picked up a lot more So pride. then after the film I had to go and do a bit more <laughs> education by Google. <laughs> see, but that's always fun. I love when you see a movie and it and it makes you like get interested in other things for a couple of days. Yeah. You yeah. spend days reading about For sure. Yeah. Actually, the one thing where the story, where I do feel the runtime a bit, is the the toing and froing of Susie to Sarah, in terms of who's who are we following? Because there is a section of the film, particularly in that later third, where Sarah kind of takes over. Yeah, as and she is the the sympathetic. She well, she becomes the sympathetic character. Yeah, Susie is an interesting character because Susie never really. Susie's not really against anything that's happening at the school, and she's not inquisitive into what's happening or why. That all comes from Sarah. So you're right. At a certain point when we get into that kind of what's actually happening here, Sarah has to be the one to drive that because if, it, if we were still focused on Susie, you wouldn't, you wouldn't learn that deeper stuff about what's actually happening. Mm. And it is an interesting switch there. In a different, in, in a different film or, or this same film done differently- I might have it as a real criticism. It might not work at all. Yeah. Or I'd be like, hang on, hang on. We've got our protagonist and we've just jumped yeah. ship here. But 
again, it it worked for me in this instance. I agree. I th- I think the film is different enough in its style that it's not it's not like if you're watching a rom com and you jump protagonist and you go, whoa, hold up. This film is already kind of breaking your expectations right from early on. Things are happening differently than what happens in regular film. So I think you're already a little bit more susceptible to changes like that. Yes, yeah, so there's quite a few full dance scenes in this film. And some of them, really interestingly, have no music. In a film with such a good score and a very present score, there's probably three or four full-length dance scenes with no music underneath them. And it's really interesting because the film is set at a ballet school, and yet they're dancing in a very modern, contemporary style, which, like, it could clash, and yet because of the subject matter, it really works. Yeah. And there's, like, there's another cool bit of subtext there with just the name of the dance. Volk is a is a loaded term from a fair part of the 20th century yeah. in Germany. In fact, maybe even stretching back longer than that. It's it was a simple thing calling the dance Volk, yeah. and then having it be this like it's a violent yeah, as most dance. of the dancing is. Even her audition piece is very uh, visceral and aggressive, almost. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Which, of course. The obvious manifestation of that is grisly fucking scene. Yeah. And the whole setting terrified me because my wife is a dance teacher. So I'm sitting there going, it's a witch cult. (laughs) (laughs) With scary stuff, man. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, and and that, like that dance we're just talking about there, I think that's with the characters in the film and everything. That's another great example, I think, of this strange mix of horror and empowerment that, that I feel- hangs around all the women in this school. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's horror. Some of the th- things we see them do are terrible. Genuinely terrible. But we never completely turn on them no, for it. It's a really interesting mix. It's almost hard to call this film a horror movie, I think. And there is yeah. some horrific stuff there. But I think it's this is much more- like I said, you know, the original has a lot more kind of slasher elements and stuff. This is much more uh, like it's the cinema of the unnerving. It's more trying to disturb you than it is to scare you. Yeah. Most of the film is a, a is a drama. Oh, the vast majority of it. I messaged Beth after I got out of the cinema and said, oh, yeah, just saw Suspiria. And she was like, oh, yeah, I don't know if I want to go and get freaked out. And I was like, like the horror elements are there for sure. But it's not a scary film. Yeah. It's, like you said, unnerving for sure. But it's not scary. Yeah. I I was really genuinely wondering how you were going to take it. Because as we've spoken about many times, you you don't like your horror bleak. You like your horror gleeful. And yet this, as we said, was much more of a drama. I thought you'd enjoy this one. Yeah, I don't think of it. As a horror, really. Yeah. Or at least not the the certain type of horror that I have no time for. Yeah. Like, you think about the amount of films that are are called sci-fi. Yeah. It's a massive spectrum. It's huge. Same. Yeah. Same with horror. Yeah. There's a good bit of, you know, we spoke about the bit, the foreshadowing in A Star is Born that we were like, oh, geez. (laughs) Yeah, get your nooses with a Yeah, hitting you over the head with a hammer. I like the bit of foreshadowing in this film. You know, right at the beginning when Susie's mum is dying. And we start on that frame of a, um, like an embroidered note yes. kind of thing that says, 
and like the end of it is, and I don't know what the exact wording is, but it's something like a mother can take the place of anyone, but no one can take their place. Yeah. And at the time, it seems like the kind of thing that, yeah, that would be in that house. Yeah. And then it's not till kind of some way down the line with what's happening with Marcos. Yes. And Mother Suspiriorium <laughs> that you're like, ah, oh, well played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the original is a trilogy, which is around the, the three mothers. Okay. And I'm not sure where they're going here, but when they initially announced this film, it was to be called Suspiria Part One. Right. Um, which they ended up changing because they wanted to make sure it would stand alone, which it definitely does. But I will be curious to see if they get enough audience goers to justify at least a sequel. And I'd be very curious to see where they're going there. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, because without knowing that, I it didn't occur to me at all that, that there exactly. would be any more. Yeah. Um, did you hang, Did you notice there was an end credit scene? Did you hang around? I, that no, long? I didn't know. Yeah, it's nothing really. But I found it interesting that there was an end credit scene on a movie like this. Yeah, <laughs> and then she turned to dust. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing if that happened in every film this year. Oh god, that'd be awesome. That would be. I mean, Disney owned basically everything. I'm sure they could have organised that. Probably. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Every film this year, just like a Star Is Born. After the end credits, Lady Gaga just turns into dust. <laughs> um, oh, there was something else in this film that that f- fed in nicely from what we'd just been talking about last week, where we were ragging on- Crash Zooms? Zooms. I was going to bring this up. I was going to- Yeah. There's so, a time and a place for Zooms, and apparently it's Suspiria. <laughs> yeah. There, I think there was a directive from Guadagino to the cinematographer that all the technology they'd be using stops, stops at 1977. Yep. That's what I was thinking. It's very 70s look. Yeah. And like there's- Because early on in the film, like there's a there's a crane shot when she first gets to the dance school, which is technically not very good. Yeah. Like there's a wobble in it. Oh, there are a lot of shots. Like this is- I mean, it wasn't on our show, but a long time ago, we did a guest spot on Cinematic Respect talking about Solaris. And this film reminded me of that. I said something at the time that was the cinematography is better than the camera work. And that's how I felt about this film. And it's very intentional. Yeah, for sure. Like, one thing that occurred to me was the way that when Tarantino's doing something that's really specifically, like, vibing on 70s schlock kind of things. Yeah. There'll be, in a really similar similar way, a zoom that- actually then needs repositioning. Yes. Or something. Yes. And that very that happens here as well. Yeah. And one week on from ragging on Zooms, I, I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it it's interesting because like we said, it's it's to evoke that time and place of the 70s. And yet the original Suspiria is very well shot and doesn't have zooms. It's so they're not they're not trying to evoke that original. They're just evoking the time and place. And that's what I liked about it is they've foregone the bright colours and stuff of the original. They've And the, it really is its own thing. And, something, and shot on film as well. And I'm not particularly into the debate of digital V film. Whatever works for you, directors and cinematographers, more power to you. The use of actual film in this film for me, is the absolute right way to go because you do get this certain grain and texture from things which digital, as of yet, doesn't do. Yeah. Now, of course, being shot in that really 70s way, 
there's still a bunch of CGI that would need to have been done because there's a lot of scenes shot in a room full of mirrors. Yes. I remember watching once um, the cinematographer of Scarface, yep. the, not the 1983 Scarface, um, talking about there's a scene in there in a in a club which is like mirrors everywhere. And he was like, it was a fucking nightmare. There was nowhere where you could point the camera and not see the camera. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that, that would suck. Whereas, of course, now you just get rid of the camera. Yep. Um, and it's painstaking. I've had to do it before. And it is painstaking. It's one of the worst VFX jobs you can have at Roto. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like one of those lowest of the low positions, those entry positions, is to paint stuff out. And it shouldn't be that low because it's hard fucking work. <laughs> like, it's really, really hard work. It's like commercial kitchens. You give, you just, if you're new, you're peeling the onions. Because yeah. <laughs> you literally have to do it frame by frame. Yeah. And you can you can track some stuff to create masks, but it's, oh, you man. still have to go through frame by frame. And there's a bunch. There's, a, there's probably, what, at least five scenes in this film in those mirror rooms, including one of the best death scenes, the, the scene that juxtaposes- Susie doing Susie's, bold for the first time. Yeah, with the death of Oliver. And it's it's so powerful. It's insane work what they've done there. Yeah. A little tidbit that I didn't notice. I saw it I saw this afterwards and was like, oh yeah. Is that I don't know if you noticed this, that with the subtitles in the film, the colour of the drop shadow changes. Yeah. Oh, of where changes. The, yeah. It's normally red for when people are speaking German. Sometimes it's blue when people are speaking French. Interesting. See, I'm such a dope. I, I wouldn't know the difference between French and German. I didn't pick up on it at the time, but I like that they at least- I like that they went to the trouble because there are some things in film that you can do that even though people- I remember Peter Jackson was big on this with the Lord of the Rings films, where he's like, even if you don't consciously pick up on it, it does- and it can still add value. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I dug that, that someone thought to do that in this film. It reminded me kind of, did you see from, oh, this is a guess, but 2002-ish, a film called Nightwatch? No. It's a Russian film. And the way they did the subtitles in that film really kind of, they didn't just do subtitles. They were real graphic elements that worked really well with the story. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, I'm a subtitles. I'm a big fan of stylized subtitles. I think we're starting to see them more and more. But yeah, when they're done purposefully like that, it can be really cool. So Tilda Swinton has a nude scene in this film in full prosthetic. You see that old man's penis. <laughs> that means that some prosthetics worker had to study old man penises and design this thing. And it's really quite well done. I wonder if that's another entry-level job. <laughs> I I was- Oh, I like, got the sausage desk. <laughs> but I just can't believe that, that I was not expecting that because that's a whole nother level of prosthetic work. Like, it, it wasn't just face and hands. They went to a full nude character for Tilda Swinton. Yeah. That was impressive stuff. You would want an Oscar. You would want an Oscar for making that peen. <laughs> and uh, the Oscar goes to- Tilda Swinton's trunk. <laughs> so the film climaxes, as you've kind of touched on, with a dance sequence, I guess, which is very violent. And that is when we go to the deep red lights and bring back that color spectrum and stuff. That's what, and I like that about that because then by the time red comes into it, yeah. it's like, whoa. Yeah. And it's, it's quite the sequence. 
and there's a lot of kind of strobe and and drop frames and stuff, which is very different to the rest of the film. And yet, it, I, I feel like it still flowed together with the rest of the film. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I thought it. I thought it fit really well. But you're right. In, in the editing, for sure, the big shift. Oh, and speaking of the editing, just to jump back a bit, the the dream sequences. Yeah. Holy crap! That's really that cinema of the unnerving stuff. Yeah, like if you think about the the unnerving sequence kind of thing from Clockwork Orange. Yes. Like this makes that look like play school. It really does. That's where. Who do you think had to shoot that B roll? You'd hope it's not something that someone just had lying around. <laughs> That's what you'd hope. <laughs> you know, yeah, you'd hope they don't just rock down to the B roll and pour in. Like, we need maggots eating eyeballs. And they're like, I've got that B roll. <laughs> <laughs> That's next level shit. Yeah, it's not pleasant viewing. Some of those shots there, like by themselves, shouldn't be. This is one thing that's really cool about it is that mixed up with these shots that are like, ugh. There's other shots that by themselves shouldn't be that unnerving, but as yeah. part of the sequence, really are. Yeah. it's like, And that can be done so well. It's like the opening sequence. I don't know if you ever watched the TV show Dexter. I saw the odd episode. But so he's a serial killer, and the opening title sequence is just him cooking and eating breakfast. And just because of the context, even though it's a regular everyday thing, because of the way it's shot and the sound design, it's really creepy and unsettling. Even though it's just a man eating. Yeah. And that's kind of what this was like. Touching again on, on that climax, I, I did like the fact that when when our witch monster comes around and is just killing the shit out of people, I loved that we knew who she was doing it to and why she was doing it to them. But from earlier in the film when we'd heard the roll call, we didn't know who was Marcos and who was Team Blank. Yeah. I found that cool. As, as she goes around the room, you're like- all right, she's going to kill half of you. Yeah. But you don't know which half. So here we go. Marcos was the other Tilda Swinton role. Right. That that little naked monster woman, that was Horrifying Tilda Swinton. Horrifying prosthetics. And again, the prosthetics team in this film are so good. Yeah, that was brilliant because Marcos is gross AF. And there you go. That just goes to show how unrecognizable Tilda was that you didn't Pick that up, yeah. And her voice work and her acting was it was it was Hannibal Lecter esque. Yeah, because Marcos is even beyond the prosthetic and the look. She's just gross. Yeah, she's feral. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that was the other Tilda Swinton role. So there are three, and all three I thought were so well done. Yeah. Um, Madame Blanc is one of the times I've most liked Tilda Swinton as Tilda Swinton. <laughs> I like I think she's an exceptional actress and yet I I often don't really like her. Ah, see so Tilda's your radiohead. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's, because Tom, she's York. Tom York. <laughs> so it sounds like we very much both enjoyed it. I was totally into it. Yeah. So what are you scoring this? Eight out of ten. Yep. I'm an eight as well. I thought it was very, very, very well done. I think we've been in such a good couple of years for horror. In fact, the fact that you liked this makes me really want to tell you again to watch Hereditary. Yeah, I do want to watch Hereditary. It's been on my- I've had it on this- I was like, by the end of the year, before we do our top five, yeah. I want to have seen Hereditary. This is a very similar thing to this, where it's it's not what I'd call a horror. It's very bleak. It's very grim. It's very art house, And it's more unsettling than it is- Horrific. So, as we said, next week, uh, we're not going to watch a thing, which is weird, (laughs) but we will be doing a mailbag episode. So, feel free to send in 
any old junk you want to send. And the week after that, we will be getting to Widows. Is that what we're doing? That's right. Steve McQueen's new film. I saw my first trailer for that when I went and saw this. We get Letty from Fast and Furious. (laughs) (laughs) She's the driver, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, My wife is really keen to see it, actually. Yeah. It's funny because it doesn't look like, like with, in fact, what we're talking about, like- when you watch Call Me By Your Name, you wouldn't go, I bet this guy remakes Suspiria next. Yeah. Like, Widows doesn't really- When I think about Steve McQueen, this is not the film I think of. So I'm really keen to see what he does with the material. Well, that's it. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing. Until next time, go watch a movie. See ya. Very, you got radio voice on. <laughs> I went, to, I went to do like radio voice thing, but I went in. I almost went straight to old timey news. <laughs> like, heck, I'm the last number. <laughs> Give him a wave, boys. <laughs> do you want to do that again? No, I'm what, good with that. Well, this, you'll work, so you <laughs> yep. work your magic there. Yep. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Dean, and I'm Daniel. And we're from the IMDb Journey podcast. Where we break down every movie from the top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. But when we're not doing that, we also battle other podcasts in various movie-related games of trivia and drafts. We also give quick reviews about every other film we've watched as well. Yeah, here we're quite good too. Yeah, if you guys don't believe us, why don't you listen to these genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, you guys are really good. I love your chemistry. Oh, hey, brew. It's uh, this is a this is a good podcast, yo. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, love the banter, guys. Keep it up. I'm DB Jenny. Is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, fantastic testimonies. Oh, thanks, guys. Absolutely genuine and real. <laughs> And if you want to give a genuine testimony as well, go ahead and search for IMDb Journey. You can find us on all your favourite podcast sites, including iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So come along and join our journey.